Children's Church, our children are going to head to the back of the sanctuary and join those who are going to be leading them downstairs for Children's Church right now. Let's pray together as they leave. Our Father, we are thankful for the unity that we have in you. And as we are part of your body, our unity comes from you being the head of the body. And we thank you that you are willing to forgive us and cleanse us of all of our sin and unrighteousness and make us a part of your family. And Lord, as we come today to your word now, we open it and we pray that you will speak to our hearts. We know that your spirit can take this same word and apply it to every life, every situation, and accomplish your purpose and your will. So help us to be open and attentive to what you would say, and then help us to be obedient as we listen to you and as we follow you. Lord, thank you for all who have come today. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege it is to be a part of the family of God and to love one another and to reach out and love those in this community and around the world because we know your heart is a heart of love for every person that you created in your own image. Bless our children and those who lead them in Children's Church. And use this time now, Lord, that we might become more like you. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, let's turn to Philippians 1 for a few moments this morning. We have been going through Philippians verse by verse. And we come to the end of chapter 1, verses 27 to 30, as Paul, writing uh, from prison, uh, emphasizes joy and commitment as we follow Christ and as we serve him, as we live for him. And in these verses, he talks about the witness that we have for Jesus Christ. And it is, it is a powerful witness in all circumstances, including in adversity. Paul was certainly writing at a time of great adversity, and yet he was finding that that adversity was opening doors that he didn't have otherwise. And he was able to share the gospel in Rome itself as a result of this adversity that he was facing. We spend a lot of our time hoping, praying, wishing that we don't have any adversity, that we don't have any trouble. And I'm not saying we need to seek it out. Uh, life has a way of bringing it our way often enough, doesn't it? But that adversity is an opportunity. And as Christians, of all people, we need to be people who see difficult circumstances as great doors of opportunity to serve and to live for Christ and to give a strong witness so that people can see the difference that Jesus can make in a person's life. Look at verses 27 to 30. Uh, follow with me as I read. Paul writes, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation, and that 
from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. Your life, my life, ought to have a profound impact on the people that we encounter day by day. It does have an impact. Your life does have an impact. It ought to be a positive impact. It ought to be urging people toward Jesus, toward the gospel, as they see it lived out in your life and in my life. And so Paul here is challenging these believers to conduct themselves, their lives, as citizens of the kingdom of God. We should always remember we're citizens of the kingdom of God. Standing and rising above all other citizenship. As much as we love our country and we're so grateful to be citizens of the United States, uh, someday this world, everything we know is going to come to an end. And all that will remain is the kingdom of God and we're citizens of God's kingdom now and forever because of Jesus Christ. There are three words that Paul uses in this opening verse here, verse 27, that really uh, get to the, the heart of the matter. Three words. The first is the word only. Verse 27, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. It's the word manos, which means only. It has been translated just one thing. Some translations even say it that way. Just one thing. And what Paul is saying is that whether he would be set free from prison or whether he would die in prison, there's just one thing that he wanted the Philippians to know. And the one thing is, leads to the second word, Worthy. Only let your conduct be worthy, which literally means to even the beam. It refers to balancing the scales so that both sides are even. To live worthy of the gospel means to live so that your life gives proper weight to all that God has done in you and what he wants to do through you. And so it's putting the gospel first. It's putting Jesus first. And Paul is saying, only let your conduct be worthy of what? The gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ. This is to be our aim as the people of God. That our lives might be focused on what really matters. On the main thing. And the main thing is a person. Jesus and the good news of Jesus Christ. The message translates it this way, live in such a way that you are a credit to the message of Christ. And so our lives in every respect ought to, ought to honor and lift up and glorify the name of Jesus. And that third word is the word conduct or conduct. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. The conduct meaning the way you live your life, what you live your life for. And so Paul is making kind of a, a summary statement here to these 
Christians, and now he wants them to put that into practice. Only let your conduct, the way you live, be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And then he says, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit. So Paul is saying, uh, don't just live this way when I'm there among you, watching over you. Whether I'm, whether I'm there, whether I'm present with you, or whether I'm absent, it should be the same. Because the goal does not change. Sometimes people are motivated by uh, certain people or certain things. And then when that situation or those people are gone, it's like their whole purpose just disappears. But you see, the purpose for your life as a Christian, it goes on beyond any person or any circumstance. And so it's not that it's just for a season of your life that you ought to be focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ and living for Jesus Christ. And then when that person or that situation is no longer there, then, well, that's just the end of that phase of my life. Now I'm on to something else. No, Paul says, only let your conduct, your life, be worthy of the gospel of Christ, whether I'm with you or whether I'm not. Because Jesus remains the same, doesn't he? And so, however long we are here on this earth, as followers of Jesus, this is to be our greatest goal and aim, that our lives might be worthy of the name of Jesus, of the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, how do we do that? Or what will be the signs that this is the case? He lays that out. Several things. First, he says, that you stand fast in one spirit. This is what Paul wanted to hear about these Christians. This is how he would know. This is how they would know. This is how we can know that we are living our lives in such a way that we are worthy of the gospel of Christ, that we are lifting him up in our lives. Stand strong with unity. He says stand firm in one spirit. The word used here is a word used in relation to a Roman military formation in which the soldiers would stand shoulder to shoulder and back to back with their shields up and their spears outward. It was the strongest possible defensive position. And Paul is saying, stand firm, stand strong, together, in unity. Now, this is not unity for the sake of unity. It's unity in Jesus Christ. It's unity around the gospel, around the good news of Christ. You hear people use the word unity a lot. But the unity that we can have as Christians does not come from some feeling. It comes from when we put our focus on Christ and Christ alone. Because if we don't, we're going to fly apart. We're too different. We have different likes and dislikes. We have different uh, things that we uh, think are most important. And if we're not unified around the gospel, we're not going to be unified. I can tell you that right now. And this is what often happens. This is why churches fall apart. This is why churches fly apart sometimes. 
because the goal is not the gospel. That's what has to keep us together. The Spirit of God living in us, keeping us focused on Jesus. And this is what Paul is saying to these Christians. Impacting the world begins as we as Christians stand together in one spirit. It's like a a coach saying to the players, we either win together or we lose together. We're not to be divided. And yet, it's easy to become divided, and usually it's over trivial things. And so for us to show maturity in Christ is that we put the focus on what is most important, and that is the well-being of the body of Christ so that the gospel can be presented, lived, shared through us and to the world. Anything that detracts from that, anything that weakens that, anything that gets in the way of that is not what God wants. And so we really show maturity as Christians, when we put the gospel first, when we put Jesus first, ahead of our selfish feelings or needs or desires. Now, of course, the amazing thing is the real needs we have are met when we put Christ first. And so if we're willing to put aside uh, our own agenda and put this agenda, the agenda of the gospel first, the real needs we have, God is going to meet them because that is what we are here for. That is what Christ is seeking to do through us. And so we need to stand strong, stand firm in unity, unity around the gospel. Now, he goes on to say, verse 27, contend for the faith, the faith without compromise. Notice there, striving, it says, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. So this tells us that the gospel, the good news of Christ, is not just whatever we want to make of it. The faith of the gospel. What enables us to share the good news of Jesus Christ? Well, we must not change what the faith is. The faith is set forth in Scripture. This is why the Bible has to be right at the heart of what it is we believe and what we share. If we, if we try to make it our own, it's not going to be good news. It has to be the gospel of Jesus Christ that's set forth in the Scripture that he has inspired the infallible scripture that he has given to us. The faith. We're contending for the faith. The word contend comes from the Greek word soon athaleo. Athaleo. It's where we get our English word athlete or athletic. It's like a running back straining to get the ball across the goal line. We are to exert, we are to contend, we are to exert maximum effort for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ and standing up for the faith of the gospel. Now, if you look at 1 Corinthians 15.3, we find a statement of what was at the heart of the faith, the early Christian preaching. 
Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 3, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas and then by the twelve. And so right at the heart of the early Christian preaching, sometimes uh, the term kerygma, that the early Christian teaching was the heart of the faith. And at the center of that is the death of Jesus for our sins, that he was buried, and that he rose again from the dead. And so it's not the gospel if you take that out of the faith. If you cease to teach and believe and share that Jesus died for our sins and that he rose from the dead, then it's not the gospel anymore. And some people, some whole denominations have walked away from a belief in the literal death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that ceases to be the faith. It ceases to be the church when you take that out of the gospel. The faith of the gospel is what we contend for. We have to stand up for that, no matter what, no matter whether it's popular or not, no matter whether people think it's too old-fashioned or not. This is always going to be the faith. Now, it includes beyond that, but that is the heart of it. And if that's right, then other things are generally going to be right too. But if you mess up the death and resurrection of Christ, if you walk away from that, it no longer is the gospel, the good news. Because why is that? The good news of Jesus is that he came to take our place, to, to take our sin in his own body, to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. And so that's the greatest news of all. We are condemned by our own sin apart from Jesus Christ, but because he came and died for us and rose from the dead, he has conquered sin and death and hell. And so this is the heart of our faith, the heart of the good news. Put these words together that Paul says here, and what he is saying is we are to, we are to join hands and hearts and use all that we have, all that God has given to us to spread the good news by every means possible to the ends of the earth. This is why we believe we should share our faith and live our faith in our own lives wherever God has placed us. And it's why we support the sharing of the gospel in North America and to the ends of the earth as Southern Baptists. Because this is what God has placed us here for, united together for the sake of the gospel. And if we walk away from that, we're not doing what God has put us here to do. No matter, and, and I'm certainly not in any way putting down, you know, studying the Bible and coming to know the scripture. That is so very important. God will do great work in us and through us when we do that. But the measure of your maturity as a Christian is not just how many scriptures you've memorized, or how many times you've read the Bible through. Are you standing up for the faith in the living of your life? Are you supporting the sharing of the gospel through your own life and to the ends of the earth? 
Are we putting the gospel first ahead of all partisan agendas? And if we are, that's what God has put us here for. This is what Paul is pleading with the church to do. Why is he doing that? Because he knows how Satan works. He's always divide and conquer. He's always whispering in people's ears trying to get them uh, to get off in the ditch, to go another way, to not put the main thing first. And he always will. And so we must listen to what Paul is saying to these early Christians because it's the message of God to us today. And it will be the message to Christians in every day. Striving together for the faith of the gospel. And then, a third thing, he urges them to not live in fear. Verse 28, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries. Live for Christ without fear. Fear will grip us and dominate us and control us if we allow it. Afraid of what people are going to do. Afraid of what people are going to think about us. If we live for the good news of Christ, if we share the good news, if we stand up for the faith, what are people going to think and do? And of course, he lived in a time when Christians were literally arrested and put in prison. And that is still happening in many parts of our world today. When people stand up for the faith. And increasingly in our own country, if you stand up for the faith and are open about that and live that and share that, you will be marginalized. You will be thought of as not being uh, very intellectual. You will be thought of as being crazy, wacko, uh, depending on the quarters or the, the place that uh, you're, you're in. It may be in your workplace. It may be in school increasingly this is what is happening the pressure being brought on christians even in our own country uh, if you stand up for the gospel now paul has interesting things to say about that he says that very opposition the very pressure brought against you when you live for jesus christ and stand up for his name if people uh, come against you or mock you or seek to harm you in some way, that is proof of two things. It's proof that they are going to hell and it's proof that you're going to heaven. That's what he says. Look what he says there in verse 28. And not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition. Perdition means going to hell lost, and to you of salvation, and that from God. And so the very opposition that Christians face, the visceral reaction that people sometimes have to the gospel. I mean, you, you see the reaction that people have sometimes to a Christian. It's just like, I mean, you think that they're dealing with Charles Manson or something just because somebody loves Jesus. You've seen it. You may have experienced it personally, or you've seen, you've seen it on television. You've seen the way people sometimes react to someone who simply says, I believe the Bible. I love Jesus. Jesus is the only way of salvation. 
He's the only name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. If you say that in some places, people are going to be ready to tear your head off. What, where does that come from? Because it's proof to them of perdition. It reveals they are lost. It reveals they are devoid of the presence of God in their life. It's like showing a cross to a vampire. Where'd that, where'd that imagery come from? Well, there's some truth to that. Because here we find Paul saying that that very opposition that comes against you and you standing up for Jesus without fear in the face of that is proof to them of their lostness. And they don't want to be reminded of that. The gospel, you see, is good news, but it's also very bad news to those who won't receive it. And people don't want to hear it. But yet, we share it, because if they will open their heart and respond to that good news, they will be saved. It's proof of salvation to you that when you stand up for Jesus Christ without fear, when that happens, it is affirming to you that Jesus lives in you. His Spirit resides in you. And that's how you're able to, to live for Christ in this fallen world without fear, without being terrified of the adversaries of Christ. And then Paul in verse 29 goes on to say, For to you... It has been granted on behalf of Christ two gifts, two gifts here. Not only to believe in him, we like that gift. He's given us the privilege of believing in him. It's been granted to us the great honor and privilege to know Jesus Christ personally, to believe in him, to put our trust and our faith in him, but also to suffer for his sake. We don't like that gift. That's generally not what we consider a gift. The last time you suffered because of your faith, did you think of it as a gift? It is a gift in the sense that it is a golden opportunity. An opportunity in the hardest of moments to let Jesus Christ be displayed in your life. We forget that sometimes. Sometimes in the hard and difficult moments, we almost feel like, well, I'm suffering, I'm hurting so much that I can kind of take this time off from my faith. No, our faith is a full-time relationship for the rest of eternity. And it is a great opportunity to let people see the difference Christ can make in a person's life. And I've watched that in your lives over these 17 years I've been here. I've watched that in your lives. I've seen some of you suffer greatly because of what life brings your way. And you have used it as a great opportunity, just letting Christ live through you in those moments. The presence of Christ so obvious on your faces and in your lives. And it has made a difference in the lives of other people. And this is what we're called to. That in every uh, experience of life, good and difficult, it is a 
great opportunity for service. And particularly if you are called by God to suffer for the name of Christ as Paul was here. He was in prison because he was a Christian. Now we have general suffering we experience in life. Because of the fallenness of this world, it's going to hit every one of us. Those are great opportunities for us to let people see Christ in us. But particularly if you are in a position where you literally suffer because of the name of Jesus, that is a real golden opportunity for people to see Christ in you. And that's what Paul was doing. And that's what he was calling those Christians to do. And that's what we're called to do in our lives. No matter what we face, that we let Christ live through us and be displayed to the world. And so these two gifts, the gift to believe and the gift to suffer, to serve in all situations, that has been given to all of us as followers of Christ. This is how we can be a part of changing the world for Jesus Christ. We can't be in every place. We can't be with every person related to the whole population of the world. Our whole life, we will be with a relative few people. But if every Christian will do what God is calling us to do here, to live for the gospel, wherever we are, as long as we're here, then the world will be affected this is how God wants to reach this world for Jesus Christ, through his, through his people, through us, the church present on this earth, with Christ as the head leading us. This one thing that was on Paul's heart is the one thing that ought to be on our heart. Only let your conduct, let your life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. May he be glorified through us. And you, let's pray together. Lord, in your name we come before you. We know that without your help, we can't live this way. This is only possible through your spirit living in us and through us. But we thank you for this great challenge and this great encouragement that you had Paul to write in the pages of your word. Help us to remember, Lord, that you are calling us to something greater than ourselves, and that is to the gospel, the good news. And may our lives, Lord, be worthy of the gospel. May we honor you in every way. Forgive us for the many ways, Lord, that we have fallen short and allowed other things to become more important. We pray that you'll help us individually and as a church to put the gospel first. We thank you for your presence here this morning. If there's someone here today who needs to receive the good news in their own life so that they can live for the gospel, help them now in this moment to, to be aware of just how much you love them, that Jesus died for their sins, that he rose from the dead. He's alive and in this very room. And he wants to come and live in their life. It's been granted to them the great honor to believe in him. So we pray in this moment if there's someone here who needs to, to pray and say, Jesus, 
I do believe that you love me and that you died for my sin. Please come into my life. I need your help. I am a sinner. Forgive me. Come into my life. I give my life to you. Lord, you will honor that prayer of faith. And we praise you and thank you that no matter what the past has been or what the present is today, you are greater. Your love is stronger than any circumstance of our life. And that your forgiveness will forgive all of our sin. Help us to live for you and to honor you in every way. In this time of invitation now, we, we pray that you'll lead us either publicly or privately to respond as you would lead us to respond. Help us to honor you now with the decisions that we make. And Lord, if we are, uh, are aware that you're urging us to make a decision publicly for you, either to profess our faith or to follow you in baptism, or if we need a church home, Lord, whatever you want us to do right now, help us not to walk away from this great privilege and honor to stand up for you in these moments. For we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.